This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Greetings, Gothamites. Lane here. Welcome to Episode 7 of Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose, where the only pictures are those formed in the imagination. This is Part 7 of Book 1, the novelization of the 1989 Batman, written by Craig Shaw Gardner, and this is the penultimate episode covering this book. Next episode, we'll wrap it up with Chapters 18 and 19, and then after that, there will be a special commentary episode of the 89 Batman. And in that episode, in in the commentary episode, I will announce what the next Batman book will be. And I'm really excited about that because I'm going to have some of my friends joining me, so it should be fun. I'll also try to get Jeej to join me again in the last episode of the book. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to get our schedules to mesh, but I'll try to pin him down for this last one. As always, if you have comments, questions, or book suggestions for books that you maybe want to see me get to sooner rather than later, let me know at darknightprose at gmail.com or batmanbooks underscore dkp on Twitter. I'm also very glad to have my voice back. I hope you guys listening have avoided the flu this season, but whew, for a couple weeks there, I sounded like Dr. Girlfriend from the Venture Brothers. I mean, that might have made a nice Batman voice, but <laughs> it didn't make for easy podcasting. So thankfully, the last episode, I got that recorded just before I got sick, and this one I'm able to record after I finally got over it. Okay, so let's start chapter 16. Chapter 16, scene 1. He was patient. An unmarked panel truck drove to the gates of the Axis Chemical Company. He was about to be rewarded. The gates opened. The truck passed through. He turned on the headlights and stamped on the accelerator. The Batmobile roared from the darkness. The hood in the guard's uniform tried to close the gate again, but the Batmobile smashed its way through the steel bars before they could lock as the hood jumped out of the way. It's Batman! The guard screamed. It was nice to be recognized. The guard shoots at the Batmobile with his pistol, but the bullets are no match for its steel frame. But the Batmobile is not a moving target, for it has stopped in front of a pair of large steel doors, the main entrance to Axis Chemical. But it's okay. Batman has some buttons for that. One button to expose guns all. Two buttons to aim them. Three buttons to fire the guns. And the large steel doors maim them. And a fourth button retracts the Batmobile's heavy-duty machine guns after a hole has been blasted through the doors. Once he has made entry into the plant, about a dozen of Joker's goons open fire on the Batmobile with machine guns. Even the bulletproof glass of the Batmobile's windshield can't withstand this sort of punishment. Cracks begin to form. But it's okay. Batman has some switches for that. One switch to put up shields like a wall. Two switch 
for a ring of C4, three switch for a 14 second stall, and with a boom, the factory is no more. As for the goons who had been in the area, Batman might or might not have said, I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you from this giant explosion I'm about to cause. After the debris has a moment to settle, Batman drives back to the gate where he exits the Batmobile to inspect it for any damage. There is none. From behind a different building, a helicopter takes to the sky. A dozen spotlights illuminate the dark night. Batman takes cover behind the Batmobile just as machine gun fire recommences. But, you know, these are probably new gunners, not the other guys in the factory, because they're they're probably all dead. Batman killed them. The Joker's voice calls down from a loudspeaker in the helicopter. He tells Batman that he didn't even come close to killing him, and that now he was going to the festival. He tells Batman, You really ought to show up. I'm going to kill a thousand people an hour until you do. Laughing, Joker is carried away by the helicopter, leaving Batman to recall the laughter from his nightmares. My notes. Did Batman just give the Joker a run for his money when it comes to body count? Savage. What's funny is that he drives into that building with the sole purpose of blowing it up. I guess hoping to catch Joker in the blast? To tweak a meme that I shared on Twitter last week, Batman is here to blow stuff up and hug his parents. And he's all out of parents. Chapter 16, Scene 2 Such a peaceful night in a Gotham City warehouse. The Night Watchman, the only Night Watchman in the whole peaceful warehouse, sat reading one of those lurid tabloid newspapers. Pygmy flying saucers land in Russia. Ghost of Elvis loses 60 pounds on Miracle Diet. Didn't he know that stuff like that didn't happen in real life? Uh Uh-uh. Real life was much more fantastic. After one of Joker's boys knocks this peaceful night watchman out cold, Joker and the gang turn on the lights, start up generators, climb onto parade floats, and begin to inflate the giant balloons. Rather than a boring old daytime parade, this parade is going to march down Broad Avenue in the middle of the night. And for the past several hours, this nighttime parade, plus the money he's promised to hand out, has been advertised. Nighttime or not, Joker expects quite a turnout. Too bad he forgot to mention the other prizes for the crowd. He's such an absent-minded Joker. Oh well, the citizens will be happy with their money, at least for the few minutes they'll be alive to enjoy it. At last, the giant searchlights come to life. The warehouse doors open, and the trucks head for Broad Avenue. Joker waves at each one as it passes. Looking forward to what will be the most perfect parade ever, he screams, I'm prepared to rule the world. And doing what the Joker does best, he laughs maniacally. My notes. Chief, mate, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. Why do villains always want to take over the world? Don't they realize how much paperwork that would be? I think Gordon really, really dropped the ball here. So we know that it's well known that Joker was going to have his parade. We know that Joker is dangerous and has access to technology and chemicals and henchmen. We know that he has been advertising this parade for hours in order to get a huge turnout. So my question is, why is there only a single nighttime security guard at the facility where the parade floats are stored? Surely word would have gotten to Gordon about the advertisements going up, and he probably would have seen them himself. Why not use that opportunity to have the entire force 
or at least the one-third of the force that is still on its feet, lying in ambush for Joker and his goons. So a bit of a plot hole there, I think. Chapter 16, Scene 3 They lined Broad Avenue, first hundreds, then thousands of curious citizens waiting for a midnight parade, and all that free cash, and the Joker wasn't about to disappoint them. One of the searchlight trucks came first. A parade's no good unless you can see it, after all. Amplified rock music blasted from huge speakers mounted on either side of the light. The citizens really start getting into the spirit of the celebration, dancing and cheering. They follow the searchlight's beam to gaze at the first balloon, a 50-foot-long cartoon clown. The first float is full of historical figures, one of whom might have been John T. Gotham, and there is a banner exclaiming, Happy birthday, Gotham City! Joker thinks on how appropriate it is to celebrate the birth of the city at night, when the real city came to life. And that's actually kind of a cool point. A dozen more floats and giant balloons join the procession. The citizens' excitement is redoubled when cash starts falling from the sky. On the lead float of the parade is a throne, upon which sits the Joker. Bob, good old Bob, hands the Joker bundles of bills, which the Joker releases in front of a giant fan to disperse to the crowd. Enthralled with his own showmanship, Joker wants to know, Have you ever danced with the devil by the pale moonlight? Now he can ask all of Gotham City. My notes. I was sitting in a cafe as I typed up these notes, and the song Stray Cat Strut by Stray Cats came on while I read the parade scene. And that song just seemed to fit perfectly. Let me play a brief clip for you here. Unfortunately, I can't play the whole song because, you know, copyright. And I got cat style. I'm not sure if the song fits the Joker, but the slightly naughty with a hint of 40s noir is what made me make the connection. So let me put a question out there. What song would you think would be good for Joker's theme song? Okay, back to the scene. I do like Joker's reasoning of the city coming to life at night, so I think that's the perfect time to celebrate its birthday. I can actually get behind that kind of logic. And plus, I'm kind of a night owl, so... Good old Bob. Actually, here are some notes about Bob the Goon from a Batman wiki. The rest of this is going to be quotes from that wiki. Jack Nicholson was asked if there was anyone in particular that he'd like to have fill the Bob the Goon role. Character actor Tracy Walter was his number one choice, as he and Walter are close friends. Initially... There was an alternate scene filmed in which Tracy Walter fought Michael Keaton with a knife. Producer John Peters was dissatisfied with how that fight turned out, and got second unit director Peter McDonald to reshoot the scene entirely with martial artist David Lee playing Batman. In place of Bob, a new goon with swords was introduced, who was played by Skin... I'm gonna mess up this guy's name, I'm so sorry. Was played by Skin... Um... <laughs> Kalpadung? Though the scene was cut, it was still seen in documentaries and trading cards. In the Batman script, Bob was identified as Robert Hawkins. The novelization of Batman confirmed that as Bob's legal name. Okay, uh, chapter 16, scene 4 is a short one, so if you don't mind, I'm going to read that one. Welcome, everyone, the Joker's amplified voice announced. Enjoy yourselves! Open those hungry wallets! Vicky Vale couldn't believe what was happening here on the streets around Gotham Square. 
Corto Maltese in the middle of a firefight was not as chaotic as what was going on in front of her. The crowd was pouring in from everywhere, people climbing over each other, trampling others underfoot, all grabbing for the money falling from the sky. She kept back on the sidewalks against the buildings away from the worst of the melee, trying to get a few good shots for the globe. She remembered what she thought a few days ago about the Joker wanting to start a war. Well, now the war was here. But the combatants were all of the people of Gotham City fighting themselves. A car horn blared behind her. Was the Joker after her again? She turned quickly, ready to run or fade into the crowd. Vicky! It was only Allie Knox, calling to her from his car. She jumped into the passenger seat. Allie looked over at her. You think Batman will show for this? Vicky looked out at the anarchy that reigned across Broad Avenue. He'll be here, she replied. Knox nodded and grinned like a young boy, running through the playground. He started the car and drove slowly into the crowd. We keep hearing about Corto Maltese, so while I know it's a fictional country, I didn't know anything else about it. So here is its entry on Wikipedia. Corto Maltese is a fictional country appearing in American comic books published by DC Comics. It was initially created by Frank Miller as a homage to Hugo Pratt's long-running Corto Maltese series of comic books. Corto Maltese is a small island off the coast of South America. It is confirmed to exist in the mainstream DC universe, where there was a tossed-off reference in a newspaper headline, quote, more arms to Corto Maltese, unquote. The island nation is referenced in Superman Under a Yellow Sun, in which Clark Kent wrote the book Under a Yellow Sun, which featured the fictional character David Guthrie, who took a job on Corto Maltese working for a corrupt businessman. Batman and Superman battled zombies, vampires, and werewolves on the island of Corto Maltese. The villainous Professor Combs escaped Arkham Asylum and traveled to Corto Maltese, where he bribed the island's leader so he could use a voodoo curse to raise the undead. Corto Maltese appears in Frank Miller's graphic novel Batman The Dark Knight Returns as an island off the coast of South America. It is in a state of rebellion, and an armed uprising against the government occurs. The war escalates when the United States supports the government and the Soviet Union supports the rebels. With tension increasing between the United States and the Soviet Union, the U.S. president dispatches Superman to subdue the uprising. The Soviets respond to Superman's presence by launching a nuclear warhead called Coldbringer. Superman diverts the warhead to an uninhabited desert area before it detonates, but damage is done nonetheless. The warhead disrupts all electronics and communications in the Western Hemisphere, causing mass chaos. Interesting. So now I know a little bit more about Corto Maltese. Chapter 16, scene 5, and this one is very short, so let me just read that real quick. It was well after midnight. Most of the city was dark beneath him, but in the middle of it all was a streak of blazing light. He banked the Batwing, sliding the aircraft between the skyscrapers. He'd have to land on Broad Avenue. That's where the Joker would be waiting. Anyone who has seen the 1989 movie likely remembers the scene of the Batwing climbing straight up, reaching its zenith so that it creates the bat emblem against the full moon before it kind of stalls and then falls earthward again. That was such a great image. And even though it's been, wow, 30 years since it was in theaters, I think I remember the audience kind of gasping when that image came up. Chapter 16, Scene 6 Knox's car had pushed through the crowds to the end of the parade. Vicky leaned from the window, taking pictures of the madness. Look at that, Allie yelled. Vicky looked around. He was pointing straight ahead where one of the floats had jumped the sidewalk and crashed into a lamppost, bringing it to a stop. People swarmed over the float, 
fighting with the Joker's goons as they grabbed for the floating dollar bills. Vicky tells Allie to pull over. Vicky steps out of the vehicle, trying to stay close to it so that she doesn't get swept away by the crush of people. Allie says, A girl could get hurt in a place like this. <sighs> woman, Allie. A woman. And a man can get hurt here, too. Vicky uses her telephoto lens to get a close-up shot of the balloon above the wrecked float, and that's when she sees green smoke leaking from a cylinder on the underside of the balloon. When Joker's men see the smoke, they quickly put on gas masks. Some of the citizens begin to gasp and choke, falling to the ground with unnatural grins on their faces. Smilex. Vicky shouts her discovery to Allie, who tries to get her back in the car. At this point, Vicky sees the Batwing. She tells Allie that they need to cut loose the balloons, and that she thinks she just saw Batman. Allie gets out of the car, rummages in the trunk, and withdraws an anti-dust mask and a pair of wire cutters. Let me do this one thing, he says. Vicky tells him to be careful, and he rushes off toward the float. Knox is able to cut through some of the cables, and the balloon begins to break away. That's when the Joker's goons see him and shoot him. Adrenaline pumping, Vicky jumps in the car and floors it until she reaches the edge of the float. Knox manages to dive onto the hood. Vicky maneuvers the car away and around a corner, but then the vehicle dies. Knox groans and slides off the hood. Vicky helps him up, but he's struggling. Blood is spilling from his forehead. Vicky tells him that he was great, but no more heroics tonight. And Allie passes out. Okay, a lot going on here. Why is it that Allie Knox manages to irritate me, but then bring me back around to liking him again? Right before he irritates me again? Before I like him again? Uh, I suppose that's just his character. I can't remember how badly Knox is injured, though, or what becomes of him in the movie, so I'm, I'm crossing my fingers for him. Alright, that's it for chapter 16. We'll have a promo break, and then come back for chapter 17. Stay tuned! Hello, gentle listener. Are you a lover of horror, dark tales, stories of the uncanny and unimaginable? If the answer is yes, you need to subscribe to Nocturnal Transmissions, the fortnightly podcast that brings you dark tales, both old and new, performed by voice artist Kristen Holland. You'll find us on all good podcast providers, including Spotify, or seek us out through our website, nocturnaltransmissions.com. We do so hope you can join us. you go and download now. 
Welcome back, everybody. I'm kind of enjoying the warm weather tonight. I've got my windows open for the first time in probably all season. I'm happy to say I am listening to one of my favorite sounds in the world, and that's the spring peepers in the creek across the road from my house. There's such a beautiful sound every spring. I also saw some crocuses coming up in the yard, and uh, yeah, maybe the last of winter is behind us for now. All right, let's get into chapter 17, scene one. Boom shakalaka laka, boom shakalaka laka. The Joker tossed another bundle of dollar bills into the air. That's right, folks, he screamed into his handy portable microphone. Who can you trust? Me! He threw even more bills aloft. Me! I'm here handing out real money. And where is Batman? He's at home, washing his tights. His laughter was cut short by a loud whooshing sound overhead. He looked up above the parade route. There, illuminated by the sweeping searchlights, was some sort of private jet, painted jet black and built to look like the wing of a bat. Joker reflects again on how nice Batman's toys are. He leaps up and down and waves. After throwing a final fistful into the fan, he yells to Bob, good old Bob, mask. Bob hands him a mask. At about this time, the crowd begins to realize the cash they have been collecting is fake. What, did they expect him to give away real money? He might be crazy, but he's not stupid. Let's see the scene on the stage of... Rest in peace, theater is proud to present... That time the crowd realizes it's been duped. Winged battle flies through the night and finds me ready. Bob! Mask! Hey, what is this stuff? Cheater! This stuff is fake! Hey, what is this stuff? Now comes the part where I relieve you, the little people, of the burden of your failed and useless lives. But as my plastic surgeon always said, when you gotta go, go with a smile. Joker uses a remote control, and the canisters beneath the balloons begin to release their deadly green gas into the balloons. The characters begin to bloat and distort, edging nearer to exploding with the pressure, which would, of course, release a wave of the toxic gas upon the crowd. The crowd is starting to realize something's up, and the people begin to panic. My notes? I'd forgotten about the balloons bulging. I think I remember it now. I'm also curious what song keeps being represented with boom shaka laka laka throughout the book. I also caught a minor flub. On page 129 of my copy, after Joker calls for Bob to give him the mask, it says, quote, Bob handed him the gas mask, standard World War II issue, except that it had thoughtfully been painted with purple, gold, and green Joker collars, unquote. Then on page 130, about halfway down, it says, quote, Bob, Good old Bob finally handed him a gas mask, unquote. Just a minor whoops there, but I always love finding things like that, if you couldn't tell that about me already. Chapter 17, Scene 2 Batman might never have seen the leaking gas if one of the guy wires on the balloon hadn't gotten loose, but because one of the moorings was gone, the balloon was bobbing and weaving in an erratic fashion, caught in the wind tunnel effect between Gotham City skyscrapers, almost as if it was waving to him. Because of the oddity of the balloon, Batman circles back for a closer look. It's then that he notices the green gas, and the henchmen wearing gas masks below. 
He pulls the Batwing into a tight loop, then dives for Broad Avenue, aiming for the space beneath the balloons. A few flicks of switches gets the Batwing ready to do his bidding. Notes. Good job to Allie for cutting this balloon parsley loose. It's the reason Batman takes out all the other balloons, thus saving the city. So good job, Allie. Sorry you got shot. Chapter 17, Scene 3. It's a very short one. You know the drill. The Joker couldn't believe it. The Batman's plane was slicing through the wires that held the murderous balloons to the floats below, then carrying the balloons along in the jet's wake, a bright, bouncing, multicolored bunch of misplaced death. What was he going to do, let them out over the ocean? My balloons, the Joker screamed. Those are my balloons! The Batman didn't answer him. Sometimes, the Joker decided, the other guy's toys went too far. My notes... I still love the mental image of the Batwing flying along with a bunch of balloons in its wake. If they weren't filled with Smilex, I bet one of them might have made its way to the Batcave along with the giant penny. Chapter 17, Scene 4 He was going to crash. That was his first thought when he looked back out of the nose of the plane and saw the ruin of Gotham Cathedral looming before him. He had been paying too much attention to the balloon gathering, and now the end of Broad Avenue was coming up fast. He lifted the nose as quickly as he dared. The Batwing responded quickly, but the cathedral was still coming up too fast. One of the wings would catch the crumbling tower. The engine screamed as he banked the plane sharply right. Somehow, he missed the cathedral by inches. But now Batman is pushed by G-Force back into his seat. The pressure nearly prevents him from reaching the control panel. With a groan, he finally activates the release switch. Without the balloons, he is able to maneuver the Batwing more easily. He radios the Coast Guard about the balloons, then heads back to Broad Avenue. My notes. How would you like to be the Coast Guardsman who took that call on the radio? I mentioned it before, but again, I like the inner thoughts that are given to us in the novelization. In movies, we just see Batman remaining cool, calm, and collected on the outside. But here, we actually have him worrying about crashing and kind of admitting to himself that he was distracted by another part of his job. Also, if the cathedral is crumbling, the city really should demolish it for safety reasons. Chapter 17, Scene 5. This is a short one, and I'll combine my reading with an audio clip from the movie. Boom shakalaka laka boom shakalaka laka. The blaring rock music echoed hollowly down Broad Avenue. Everyone was gone. They had all run away. He stole my balloons! Why didn't somebody tell me that he had one of those things? Still, nobody spoke. The Joker found this immensely unsatisfying. He asked for Bob's gun and shot him. Good old Bob. That made him feel a little better. Bob pitched from the float to the money-littered street below. He was quite dead. Good old Bob. He stuck the gun back in his coat. It was good to make sure your aim was there every now and then. The other boys paused and watched him. It was time for orders. Wage war, you bastards, he screamed. He turned off the rock music. Broad Avenue was suddenly silent, except for the sound of a distant jet. My notes. How exactly does one go about waging war? I'm guessing a governmental cabinet is involved and declarations after months of failed talks. Perhaps a better order would have been destroy stuff. I don't know. I'm not a general. Chapter 17, Scene 6. Another short one. He flew down the end of Broad Avenue. A few seconds from now, he'd be directly over the Joker and the rest of the human scum. Batman flipped the proper switches to arm the Batwing. A computer voice softly announced when each of the devices was properly deployed. 
searchlight, laser gun, Gatling gun, heat-seeking missiles. That should be enough, at least for the first run. A few more switches and he had cleared the safety mechanisms and armed the rockets. It was time for a little eradication. Notes. I won't kill you, but I don't have to save you from the eradication I'm about to cause. Batman sure likes that gray area, doesn't he? Chapter 17, Scene 7. There's going to be a lot of short scenes in this chapter. I think it's a, an attempt to make the pacing feel more fast and action-packed. Batman's plane was coming for them, low and slow. But this time it looked different, less sleek than before. It had things hanging from its lower fuselage, things that looked like guns and missiles. The boys ran away. It's just cooking good, you schmoes, the Joker yelled at his retreating troops. What's going on? The boys didn't even bother looking back. What kind of loyalty was that? And after he had made such a good example of Bob, the Joker hated to waste a good example. The spotlight flashed on as the plane swooped overhead. The Joker laughed and danced out into the path of the onrushing light. Come to me, he screamed, you gruesome son of a bitch. My notes. Running away is the first smart thing the Joker's goons have done so far. Uh, I've never seen Schmo used without it being part of Joe Schmo, but it can indeed be used on its own. And Joe Schmo has his own Wikipedia entry. Quote, Joe Schmo, meaning Joe anybody, or no one in particular, is one of the most commonly used fictional names in American English. Adding a shm to the beginning of a word is meant to diminish, negate, or dismiss an argument. For instance, rain shmain, we've got a game to play. It can also indicate that the speaker is being ironic or sarcastic. The process was adapted in English from the use of the shm prefix in Yiddish to dismiss something as in fancy schmancy, thus denying the claim that something is fancy. While shmo was thought by some linguists to be a clipping of Yiddish schmuck, an etymology supported by the Oxford English Dictionary, that derivation is not universally accepted. Unquote. Sometimes it's interesting to see something put into words when you've never really thought about it before. Chapter 17, Scene 8. He was coming up to the parade, or what was left of the parade. The searchlights were stationary, the floats and trucks abandoned, everyone was gone. He placed the mobile missile sights over his eyes. Not everyone was gone. In the magnified sights, he saw a single figure standing in the middle of the street, jumping up and down and waving at the approaching plane. It was the Joker. He had his arms outstretched, as if in greeting. Well, Batman thought, if that's the way he wants it. Engage, he whispered softly. The computer did the rest. Bullets, lasers, and missiles screamed down on Broad Avenue, all taking out their assigned targets. Batman wanted to make sure the Joker didn't have any more surprises hiding in any of his floats or other equipment, so the equipment had to be obliterated. In the middle of all the destruction, he saw the Joker doing the waltz. Everything had missed him, so far. My notes? If any citizens are hiding behind the trucks or floats, Batman DGAF. Is this typical behavior for him? Well, to beef up my knowledge of Batman, I've started a new podcast called Gothamites Anonymous, where my friend Kat and I go over the graphic novels. Maybe in a year or two, I'll know more if this is typical Batman behavior, or if this is more along the Hollywood make things go boom way of thinking. Chapter 17, Scene 9. All right, he was having fun now. Things were exploding all over the place. There went a float, here a truck. Oops, a building got it that time. 
Bad shot. Once in a while, a bullet came for him, but the Joker was faster. A searchlight shattered, producing a magnificent rain of glass. The Joker had never seen such wonderful destruction. You had to hand it to Batman. This was what life was all about. Unfortunately, all good things had to come to an end. The Joker pulled out his other gun, the one with the real, real long muzzle. He took careful aim as the plane turned around for another pass. He pulled the trigger. Bang. The Joker looked up from where the recoil had pushed him to the ground. It was a great gun, but it kicked like a mule. Bingo. Did he have the best aim anywhere or what? The left wing of Batman's plane had sprouted fire and a very satisfying thick black smoke. The plane was wobbling badly before it swooped down overhead. The Joker ducked as it passed a dozen feet above the street. It was aimed straight for the steps of the Gotham Cathedral, and that's exactly where it smashed. There was a moment of silence before the Joker started to laugh. My notes? Uh, good thing the cathedral was crumbling anyway. Batman probably did the city a favor by getting the demolition started. I was a little dubious about how easily a bullet damaged the Batwing when the Batmobile could take fire from multiple machine guns without damage, but I'll give it the benefit of a doubt. Perhaps weight restrictions put limitations on the armor that Bruce can put on the Batwing. Does anyone else have any other ideas? Well, that does it for chapters 16 and 17. Thank you again for listening to Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose. Again, you can find me on Twitter at BatmanBooks underscore DKP or an email at DarkNightProse at gmail.com. For the next episode, we'll discuss chapters 18 and 19. If you have any feedback, comments, or thoughts about the upcoming two chapters, please send them along. Until next time, Gothamites, happy reading. Batman is copyrighted to DC Comics and was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. Mm-hmm.